for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is still Tim. And my name is still Marshall. Welcome to take two oh. of season three, episode 34. Mm. Yeah, so we, we had this great little banter back and forth to get the episode going, and it just fell totally flat when we realized that we hadn't been recording at all. We're just chatting away, just catching up. You know how it is. We were like 60 seconds in. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't as bad as it's been at times. No, there's <laughs> there's been times I think I think we recorded a full episode one time and realized that my mic hadn't been on. Oh so, yeah. So it was just you. Yeah. <laughs> so there would have been best it, episode ever. <laughs> it just would have been like you chatting for a couple minutes and then like this Really long, awkward silence. Or it might have sounded like you shouting down the hall <laughs> as you were very faintly picked up on my right. mic. Yeah, that could have been possible too. Oh my goodness. Awesome. Well, here we are. Here we are. It's a good day. Good day to drop a pod. We've been in the thick of VBS this week. I'm wearing my NBC Kids shirt. I got a second I one. I had to lose mine. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I... I, I I convinced Jay Chris to let me have a second one. I'm like, oh, I got a I got a sweating problem. I can't wear the same shirt five days in a row. It's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be rough for everybody involved. Good radio. Yeah, yeah. That's what everyone wants to hear. That's what it came for was uh, was talk about that kind of stuff. Um, so today we're actually gonna be talking about events on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, um, focusing mostly on British settlers. Mm-hmm. In what would eventually become the 13 colonies and what would eventually become the United States of America. Pilgrims. Pilgrims. Pilgrims and others. And others. And others. I mean, the pilgrims are interesting. I mean, they're the most easily identifiable because of the funny hats. And the great shoes. And the great shoes. With the same buckles as the hats. <laughs> and their belt. Is that... Like, that's coordinating. I just wonder... Is that like historically accurate? I didn't. I don't know. I didn't look into that. My I'm research pretty sure go... they weren't made out of construction paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. You guys didn't grow up like that's bizarre to me. Like you didn't grow up doing the whole Thanksgiving pilgrims. Not really cutting man. hats and stuff out of construction paper and like. <sighs> I mean, not, I don't see why you would have. Not really. But at the same time, not yeah. really. Like, we used to do the thing where you trace your hand and you turn that into a turkey. How very un-American of you, Marshall. But, well, what I know, <laughs> what I know of the, okay, so here, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't do it. And I will share what I, what I'm We got an share. hour to fill. We got, we got some time. So, the thing to understand about what would become the 13 colonies, what would become the United States of America, mm -hmm. was that it was the primary place where the British chose to land and colonize. And you had the Spanish further south, and they had actually been quite established in the Caribbean for some to, some amount of time. Yep. Like, by the time that, you know, Cortez is taking over Mexico and that sort of thing, like, they've got significant colonies in Cuba and Jamaica and other places um, but meanwhile, you know, the British are a little bit slower to the game. Yeah, but let's let's talk about why the Spanish didn't come up mm. first, right? Because I, I think it could be curious for people to be like, wait a minute, that's true. It's been weeks 
if not months, since we first talked about the Spanish yeah. coming over yeah. um, and colonizing. But why did it take another 200 years mm. before they came up into the States and Canada? Mm. And the reason, if you remember back to those episodes, we talked about the fact that they did come up into the States looking for gold. Yeah. You know, Ponce de Leon yep. came up looking for the gold, didn't find it. Right. There's your reason. <laughs> That's essentially it. <laughs> There's no money in it. <laughs> right? They were finding so much gold mm-hmm. in in Latin America, South America. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to come up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the British begin to colonize what is now the eastern coast of the United States. And the very first kind of permanent British colony would be at Jamestown in 1607. Mm-hmm. And it would later kind of expand and become what we know now as the state of Virginia. So that was kind of, that was their kind of first foray. Now, keep in mind that at this time and over the preceding, you know, several decades, you know, the events that we've been talking about that are happening in Britain are going on. So you have monarchs flip-flopping between Protestantism and Catholicism. You ha- end up having a civil war. You end up having, you know, the monarchy being deposed. All these things are happening whilst these early colonies are being established. Right. And there's there's this really interesting dynamic between the main island mm. and all of its various colonies, right? Where there is still influence and rule over these areas, but they're not really affected by that rule and the turnover of rule in the same way. It, yeah. it just has, it, it, it can, pro, this is my guess, is it, it can only come down to the fact that information and people mm. traveled so slowly mm-hmm. in the time that there was just a buffer. Yeah. I, I think an analogy that might might work is when you look at Spain and its Spanish colonies, mm-hmm. Spain was relatively unified, mm-hmm. right? There wasn't a lot going on in the mother country, so they were able to establish a great deal of oversight and control over the lands that they, they had taken, right? It was kind of think of like a, a, mom, a mom and dad who are pretty stable, figuring that out. Britain, with all the chaos going on, it's like it's like a mom and dad going through a divorce. And yeah. while they're doing that, the kids are just, who knows what they're up to? Because mom and dad are too busy figuring out their own junk. Yeah, but in the same way, if I could, if I could take a, an analogy as well. One of the biggest things we've already begun to talk about that we're going to talk about today is religious freedom. Mm. Right? And, and a lot of this boils down to the fact that in England... There is a lot of control over religion that is coming and going. The instability of okay, so I'm in I'm in good favor with them today, but I won't I may not be tomorrow. Right. Right? This is what's causing them to leave mm-hmm. and to come to a new place which is still under the same rule. Mm-hmm. Under the same ruler, but under a different rule. Right. It's kind of like that same kid being told by his parents, you have to be home by midnight in the living room. So you're like, fine, then I'm just going to go to the kitchen. (laughs) Right? You're still under the same ruler, but just in a different location. And now it's okay. Yeah. I... It's it's interesting. 
<laughs> so the the earliest setter, settlers of these colonies of what will become the United States further down the road um, would would m- come mostly from Britain, but also from other European countries, and they would come for a variety of reasons. I mean, for mm-hmm. some, it's purely economic, right? It's a quick way to become a landowner, right? So, like, you're a peasant, you're a tenant farmer, mm-hmm. right? You're a poor working class person in England, and in the New World, they're giving away land for free, right? right. This is this is an easy way to take a step up in the class structure. For anyone who can afford the trip over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that there's still there's still that. There are still barriers. There are still some barriers. Yeah, but and, it is an easy way to kind of bump yourself up in the world. Yeah, and those are important notes because I I know that sometimes it's really easy to just take these kinds of scenarios and put them nicely in a box with a little ribbon on top mm. and say this is why and pass it along, right? And especially having grown up in the states, the notion that there was tyranny in England and so people came to the land of the free and the home of the brave uh, because of religious persecution, um, paints very much this picture that all of these people were God-fearing, right-believing Christians right. who, under the tyranny of the crown, are going to start things over again and do it the right way. Right. <laughs> um, and there is there's a, there are elements of that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and I would say, the the elements of that are the greater, of the whole, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not unique. No. 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 And and also, all those people who came for religious freedoms were not necessarily Baptists and Puritans and right believers. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that too. Um, yeah. So, like you said, there there are some there are many who come to the the new world in pursuit of religious freedom. And, you know, because of a lot of the things that we've been, we've been talking about, right. Because of, because of the tumultuous century preceding, um, these colonizers, like mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the ups and downs within the Roman Catholic church and the reformation and to what degree and the different factions and the different, you know, different groups we've already talked about. There's a lot of chaos going on. And if you're not, of the right flavor of Christianity in the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. life could be difficult. Yeah. Right. And so there was an element of maybe we can just go somewhere else and do our thing there and people will leave us alone. Yeah. So that is, that is a real part of what is bringing people from Europe to North America in the 1600s. Yep. And beyond. But like you said, land ownership. Oh yeah. The the opportunity to start businesses to expand yeah for you, sure you've got a you've got a trade and there's competition mm-hmm. you can hop the boat you go to a new place they don't have a silversmith yeah you're and the so only one in town and so there's there's entrepreneurial gain mm-hmm. uh, political gain sure right people who are you know scrubs in the political system but have just enough networking to be able to say hey. I could go over there and help with that. I can go be a governor. You can rise in the ranks pretty quickly. Yep. A lot of people travel over out of boredom, sense of adventure. Sure, why not? Why not? I don't know what's over there. Let's go look. Yeah. 
I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, it's exciting, right? I mean, this whole new, we don't have that anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So it's something that we can't really understand. Like this idea of like an untouched frontier. Mars. That is, exactly though. Well, yeah. If Mars was covered with plants and animals and people. If if Mars were habitable. Like imagine, okay, imagine if Mars was similar to Earth. It was habitable and had, you know, people and, and animals and that sort of thing. I mean, who wouldn't want to go? Yeah. I'd want to go. I'd be like, sign me up. I'll plant the first Baptist church on Mars. Let's go. Right? But, again, that's I'm, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I, part of me just wants to break out and talk about all of these things that keep coming up about making Mars habitable and what if we needed to relocate. And I just think... It's such a joke. Why not just spend all of that time making this planet habitable <laughs> if it's... <laughs> If it's possible, we to could do terraform those Mars. What if you just terraformed Earth? Anyways, yep. Um, okay, so the first group we should mention and talk about um, at some length are the pilgrims. Now, the pilgrims are a particular group of monks, those who came to the New World. Mm-hmm. Now, prior to researching for this podcast, most of what I knew about the pilgrims came from what I had learned through. American television and movies that talk about things. Charlie Brown. Yeah. Look, honestly though, like I gotta be the cards on the table here. Like what I knew about the pilgrims was not from any kind of formal education that I had, but from like magic school bus or whatever. Right. Like it was like, it was that. I don't know that it's any different for an American. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. So, so who, who were the pilgrims? So the pilgrims come over on the Mayflower. Mm Hmm. And the it's important to note, not the first people here. What? They're <laughs> they weren't the first nations of the people. Well, even that. even at that, they're not the first English. You're right. Yeah, you're to right. come no, totally. over, right? Mm-hmm. There was already the establishment in Jamestown. Mm-hmm. The goal of the Pilgrims was to travel across and land in Jamestown, right? So they had they had experienced persecution in England. Mm-hmm. They Travel to Europe, to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Things are better there. They also have some issues. Yeah, well, what they're concerned about is losing their cultural and religious and ethnic identity to mm-hmm. the Dutch. Because they're right. living amongst the Dutch, right? As separatists and congregationalists, who we've mentioned before. Aren't we all? <laughs> well, we are. I mean, technically, <laughs> you and I are separatists living amongst the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> it feels that way. Are we not? <laughs> it feels that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. I in our own households, in we our... are we are reliving this latter re- English Reformation, this pilgrim life. It is. It, all of a sudden, I feel so much more connected to these people. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. So there's there's the fear of losing that, and so mm-hmm. they decide. Well, we can't, we can't go home. No, definitely not. <laughs> right? That's not going to go well for us. Mm-hmm. So they, they rent a couple boats. Mm-hmm. They have two boats that they charter out. Um, they, they make their way to just the, the south side of England mm-hmm. in order to sort of restock, refuel, grab some other people. Um, they head across. Only one of the boats makes it. Yeah. Uh, the other one's not like tragedy mid-sea kind of a thing. It doesn't really hardly even get started. Yeah. It's all good. It's a, it's a rough journey, though. It doesn't make the trip. Yeah. No, it's, 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 not, it's not a... 
it's not a favorable crossing. Like yeah. You're kind of rolling the dice. Every time you sailed across the Atlantic, it could go very smoothly mm-hmm. and not be too troublesome of a voyage. Sometimes it could be pretty bad. And, yeah, and, and part of it was this has been done enough that they have an understanding of how the weather works, mm. right? So they were that much ex- experienced in it. Sure. Um, and they knew that they were had pushed through weather windows, mm-hmm. that it was going to be rougher than what it was advised for crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at this point, you've made the choice to leave the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. You're in England at the docks. You can't stay there. You no. can't be like, oh, we'll leave next year because you might not be alive. Right. Right? For the persecution. Yeah. Uh, and so they got to make a choice. And they're like, all right, we're heading out. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, they <laughs> There's a lot of record of some of the uh, people on the ship complaining about the pilgrims because these are not seafaring people. Um, and mm, yeah. and they're not really able to help out. They're always <laughs> like, there's record of the sailors complaining about how seasick the pilgrims are right. all the time. Right. <laughs> and, and they've brought their families with them. Mm-hmm. So they have children on the boat. Yeah. Uh, there is, there's record of a story where one man sees just he's had enough, right? One of the sailors, mm. he's had enough, and he makes the statement, we should just take these people, throw them all overboard. Like, just <laughs> put them in white sheets, throw them overboard, just be rid of this experiment. Oh, man. Because we're, they're, they're literally going to be the end of us mm. because there's so much trouble mm. in getting us... A, across this ocean. Right. Uh, mostly just the, I mean, they're not like causing riots on the deck or whatever. No, no. They're not helpful. Right. And, and they're a little bit needy because they're not sailors. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have kids with them. Mm-hmm. This gets heard. And like two weeks later, the man passes away of a disease. And the pilgrims note it as providence and a sign from God that they are to continue on this journey. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So it's within the logs. Mm. But eventually, right when they're starting to ask the question, do we go back? Mm. They see land. Uh, They get to um, Plymouth, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts. Yep. Right there on the Cape. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not where they're trying to be. Not even close. <laughs> Long ways away. There have been so many people, like not hordes, but a number of people who have died in the journey. Mm. It's been a long, hard journey. Mm-hmm. Um, there was almost a riot, and there's record of conversation of we should just go back. Mm. Wow. Like, what do you do to that guy, Marshall? <laughs> You've been on this boat. <laughs> first so long <laughs> you finally get to the other side and he's like this isn't virginia <laughs> let's go back oh man it sounds like the the israelites in the wilderness a little oh, bit good it's like wasn't it better in egypt yeah, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it be better in england i mean they're just gonna throw us in prison and I, maybe burn us at the stake i don't know i don't know if anyone got into it with that guy I would have. I would have. <laughs> yeah, uh, so so they get to to Plymouth Rock. They they read Psalm 100 mm-hmm. as they land as a prayer of thanksgiving. Um and 
found the Plymouth settlement. And, uh, I mean, they come into contact with the natives. Yeah, so so when they first land, mm. they realize they're not in Virginia. Right. They decide amongst themselves, hey, we're just going to stay here, and we're going to form our own government. Mm-hmm. And we're going to write out everything so that everyone knows what's expected of them. Right. And we have the first constitution on the America, in the Americas. Mm, right. Is the not the first American constitution, but... Mm-hmm. A constitution amongst themselves in the Americas. Right. Cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decide to explore this new area where they are, and they find stores of food. Reportedly, leave a note saying, we will repay you for all of this. Ends up being native <laughs> stores of food. Um, Who probably can't read English. There wasn't, a whole lot of, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of growing season left because right. of when they came over. So right. they're like, this will get us through. And, and the natives there were like, well, that's kind of the purpose, but not to get you through. <laughs> uh, so it, there, are, there are those historically dark and hard first winters yeah that come mm-hmm. uh and and the confrontation that yeah. comes between the natives and and the pilgrims in that very early on time and they'd be on again off again mm-hmm. right because because the thing is the thing that we need to remember too amongst the 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 native people first nations indigenous whatever word is the, the appropriate one these days um they're not they're not just like one people group Right. Right? There are a multitude of people groups who have pre-existing alliances and feuds with one another. And so some groups are going to ally themselves with the pilgrims. Some are going to oppose them. Some are going to switch sides. Sometimes the pilgrims are not necessarily going to act in good faith or vice versa. Um, you know, sometimes the, you know, <laughs> there's the stories of like the pilgrims will unknowingly do something that greatly offends the native peoples. So they'll like steal some of their children. As like, <laughs> and it just goes back and forth. And then they go mm-hmm. and they kill a bunch of people. And then, they, you know, so sometimes they're they're at peace. Sometimes they're not. But over time, the colony grows. And, you know, new settlers are periodically going to arrive. The settlements will, will expand. Um, they're going to establish congregational churches right. that are independent or interdependent, I guess, with, with one another. Uh, mm-hmm. Because again, these are separatists. These are not Presbyterians at this point. Uh, they're not Anglicans, right? They're certainly not Roman Catholics. So they're they're going to kind of establish. These are going to be the first churches. congregational separatists, exactly. Which is why they also have this: we're going to form our own government and we're going to write a constitution, yeah. right? It, this is this is not just their religious belief. This is their just worldview, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, but the pilgrims would really only be the first wave mm-hmm. of those who would ultimately come to America. Uh, only, and even amongst those who are coming there for religious freedom, right? So in the next couple decades after the Mayflower, there's something like twenty to 30,000 Puritans from England who are going to come to the colonies, which... Is a significant amount of people mm-hmm. for that time, um, with the express purpose of establishing communities where they can worship freely and they can shape a society according to their religious convictions. Mm-hmm. Right? This is this is theonomy. Yeah. Right. This, that's what this is. Right. They're saying we're going to order a society 
according to what we see in God's word. Right. Now. It's very Augustine. Yeah. City of City God. City of God. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is kind of the premise amongst the pilgrims and amongst many of the Puritan colonists. Um, some of these communities, particularly in New England, so kind of the northern portion of where the colonies are, would come to be known as the Bible Commonwealths. Mm-hmm. So you would have this kind of amalgamation between biblical laws and principles and English common law that would kind of come together to be the standard practice in these places. Yep. And so that's kind of how the, these communities would, would operate. And so, um, again, this kind of, kind of resetting the clock, so to speak, on, on, on how to govern a society, how to make it work. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. Right here in front of everybody. Okay. Recorded for all of time. <laughs> going on the internet. Yeah. With universal access to all peoples. Okay. How much different is this settlement, these first settlers in the U.S. versus the first permanent settlements in Canada? How different is How it? How different, yeah. It's pretty different. For, for reasonings... The motivation for traveling over, yeah, yeah. Uh, the motivation for forming, or, yeah. or even how the groups are formed and organized. Yeah, so so one thing to remember is that partly due to climate, mm-hmm. right, so that the American eastern seaboard is a more favorable climate than the Canadian Maritimes. That preaches. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so... So the, the, the colonies that you're going to see in what is now Canada are much smaller, and mm-hmm. oftentimes founded much more sparsely and are, are and even much later, right? Um, the French are going to control a, a greater p- portion of what is now Canada in the early decades, centuries. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the British are going to come in and, and wipe them out for the most part. Um, at least mil- on don't, a mil- tell, don't tell Quebec. Well, on a military level. I mean, they let them yeah. survive, but like they, they wipe out the French army that's here. But it's, it's a little bit different because the American colonies become their own quasi-independent thing, even before, long before the War of mm-hmm. Independence. They, they become these established large communities, whereas... What is now Canada is the frontier for a long time. Yeah. So and are more dependent upon the crown. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's far less self sufficiency, at least in the early decades. Right. Right. So you've got, you've got pilgrims who are just like regular people mm-hmm. coming across and starting these communities and founding these communities and they're growing. Whereas in what is now Canada, it's it's rougher people or it's people who are they're just there to like hunt beavers like Mm -hmm. that's why they're there right and so it's just it's very it's very different in in the 1600s and so here's my point okay behind all of that it was you were just setting it it was just it was an elaborate setup it was an elaborate setup i i knew the answer (laughs) this is why the u.s and canada have the personalities that they have today and they're differing Interesting. It still carries on that Americans are so much more independent. Mm. The way we will break with England, right? Where we're the angry teenager, yeah, that just says, "That's it, mom. Had enough. 
I'm out of here. Slams the door, <laughs> goes off. Yeah. Whereas we're the younger brother who's like, I think it's time for me to move out, Mom at, and Dad. At 30, he's in the basement, and Mom oh. and Dad are like, hey, it's time. <laughs> it's You need to go get your own place. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not going to argue with that because it's hilarious. Whether it's accurate or not, I'm not even going to argue with it. I just think it's funny. I just, I just, I yeah. can't, I can't. <laughs> mess with the Americans and not the Canadians, especially yeah. as American. No, no, no. Uh, but that the U.S. is more religious. Yeah. That the U.S., that mm. the religion in the U.S. is less mainline. Yeah, more evangelical. More evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up there, I did. I knew very, very few people part of mainline churches. Right. Didn't even know what the term meant. Mm. Right. Um, but... To be there and to be Catholic or Lutheran, uh, I mean, in some of the major city centers and stuff, you have that kind of stuff. But just spread out throughout, no, it's mostly evangelical. Right. Which is different than the landscape we have here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? It's almost inverted. So it's interesting where here we are so far removed from these events, Mm. yet the way that generation passes down to generation, Mm. it's not a surprise to see the differences in our birthing and our upraising playing out in how we live today. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right? And so these people that were like, no, we're leaving for our freedoms, and we're breaking from the government and the church and all that, that, that it carries on today that it's a people more interested and independence and freedom, mm-hmm. just sort of... And, and that's not to say that everyone was like that. No. But even from your own family tree, you know that when it comes time for the war later on, mm-hmm. the loyalists are going to move up to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm technically, yeah, descended from from the loyalists, which... Oh, man. Probably have a bunch of our American listeners, or our American listener. He just hates me now. But you wouldn't have been a loyalist. <laughs> no. My own personality? Your own personality? No. <laughs> no way. I would have been dumping that tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 100%. No, not, that's not who I am. Yeah. Taxation without representation? <laughs> not for me. Not for me, baby. No, not at all. So so anyway, so as, as these communities are developing, these quote-unquote Bible commonwealths in New Hampshire and, and you know, Rhode Island and these different, these different areas, you know, in the kind of the American Northeast, somewhat ironically, I think we could say, mm-hmm. these communities of those who dissented from the status quo in England um, aren't all that kind to those who dissent with where they happen to be at. You could you could interestingly and ironically call them legalists. To some degree, yeah. To some degree, yeah. I mean, as far as there is, in, in at least in some of these communities, early on, things change over time. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, in part because of what happens in England. Um, but these communities persecute dissenters. Um, particularly the Puritan communities... Um, they really don't like the Quakers. Yeah, I mean they're 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 unkind. Like the Baptists kind of get hated on a bit, and they they end up actually in, in Rhode Island. I think is a place where the the Baptists kind of flourish uh, because people in Massachusetts don't like them. But the Quakers they they kind of get a really rough go. Now here's the thing you need to bo- know about Quakers: great oatmeal. <laughs> oh, you took it. I literally had that in my notes. <laughs> 
That's how lame I am. I'm so glad I, I you've taken a, that. I made a note. <laughs> I, I was sitting here thinking, that's too bad to actually say, which means I have to say it. You have to. You have to. So the Quakers, so they're a movement that emerged in the mid-1600s in England. Um, they were founded by a man named George Fox. They were known as the Religious Society of Friends. And the reason they're called Quakers is it's based on a quote by George Fox, who, you know, when kind of calling out um, the religious establishment of the day, you know, said that the earth would quake or whatever um, at their impiety or something along those lines. So they get they get the name Quakers as kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're known as the Religious Society of Friends. Very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Very experiential. Yes. Very unorganized. Very tolerant. All of these things are antithetical when it comes to an examination of the Puritans. Yes. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I, I would say, I would say with experiential might not be an opposite there there is something in puritan works that mm-hmm. is still very open to experience of and and practices of pietistic things like meditation and stuff like that oh yeah um mm-hmm. but but still very different yeah i i think the the puritans would put the truth of god's word over experience. Oh, yeah. The Quakers would flip that. Right. Um, so one's one's individual spiritual experiences mm-hmm. take precedence over everything else. Essentially. Mm-hmm. That is that is kind of the, the heart of the Quaker movement. Um and that yeah, it's the idea yep. is like the light of God exists within you and you just need to find it. Yeah, my point was just to say the Puritans aren't the kind of people that are going to be like, we're Stoic. No. We're no, Stoics, no. and your personal experience with God yeah. is neither here nor there. No, the Puritans felt things deeply. Right. But again, they wouldn't say, oh, well, I feel as though this way is better than the way that God's Word has indicated to be. They they would not be down for that. Where the Quakers would be like, yeah, sure, do you. Right? That's kind, That was kind of their thing. And... God made you and God don't make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. To, to an extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this, like, you just need to find the light of God within you. Pretty universalistic. Um, yeah. Pacifist, yeah. teetotalers. Like, okay, so here's the thing. I I went on to the Quakers of Canada website, like mm-hmm. their national website, and... The natural progression of this theology, because this is probably going to be the last time we talk about Quakers, so we can talk about this now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the natural progression of where you think this might go has been realized uh, mm-hmm. to the point where they're like, on their entire website, you don't even see the name of Jesus mm-hmm. anywhere. You see God, and anytime they say God, they immediately apologize for it. They're like God, like experience God or whatever it is that you, you know, want to call it. And some of our friends don't even like that language anymore. And we call it this or that or whatever. 
and you know their statement of faith is there's there is no real their, their statement of faith is that they have no statement of faith so they're mm-hmm. just like universalist unitarian kind yeah, of yeah it's just like yeah. i don't even know what this is like this like it was almost frustrating it was like why not just be an atheist and just like just like save yourself some time and energy like i just don't understand it right right now i'm not saying that there aren't I mean, perhaps there are Quakers out there that are genuine believers, but like, as far as they're like, they're top down, like this is, you know, their national website. It was, I don't even, it was just weird, man. It was, it was like, it's like the twilight zone. It's like, what is this? Yeah. You know, when, so here we're next door to a school, we, mm-hmm. they use our parking lot. The right. same scenario was true where I was in Toronto. Um, and, and it was also our home. So, I was out playing with the kids. Uh, these other kids would just see our kids playing one day, and they come out and they're just playing with our toys on the our little play fort. Okay, uh, as if it were public. It, it's it's a fair enough misread. Sure. Right. Uh, and their mom's just like hanging out watching. I'm not bothered by it. Yeah. Um, we end up doing the whole like, oh, these are your kids. Yeah, these are your, you know whatever. And. Uh, she finds out that I'm the pastor of the church, and she's like, uh, yeah, we go to church cross town. And I was like, <clears throat> not emotional, just something in my throat okay. out of nowhere. <laughs> it's like I swallowed a fly, but I didn't. <coughs> anyway, uh, she's like, yeah, we're, we're Quakers. Mm. I was definitely thrown backward. You're like, wait, like, like the oatmeal? <laughs> like you just want to like poke him in the shoulder to be like, are you real? <laughs> She's like, yeah, my husband and I met at church camp, hmm. Quaker church camp for teenagers. And all of this stuff, very normal, but because it's wrapped up in Quakerism, very interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Like Candace and I met at camp, but right. But what's a Quaker church camp like? Right. And so... <laughs> And so she's like, yeah, you know, we we drive across town every Sunday for church. We met at church camp. Our kids go off to, you know, children's camps and stuff like that. And I was just like, do you want a cup of coffee? Can I find, I just, I got so many questions. Right, right. Right? But it was fascinating. It's the one time in my life, maybe I haven't, in topic of religion, just didn't come up. Yeah. I've ever talked to anyone who would utter the words, I'm a Quaker. Right. Yeah. I'm just like, Wow. I've never met one in person. She didn't have the cool hat. <laughs> so I didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So these these Quakers, they, they had fled to New England to escape persecution from... Are we persecuting the Quakers? Now? Are we are we Baptists persecuting the Quakers by okay, so saying the things that we've said? By, by are we s- carrying on? By 17th century standards, what we're doing is nowhere near <laughs> persecution. In our 21st century standards, uh, we've we've spoken, you know, trivially of someone. So we, yeah. you know, it's essentially the same as just murdering them on mass because this is 2022, and that's how yeah. we feel about things now. Anyways, um, so they fled to New England to escape persecution from the Anglicans, but the Puritans were not fond of them either. Um, a lot of them were kind of banished. Some were in prison. Mm-hmm. They actually executed a few of the leadership. So what would happen is people would come preaching the Quaker message, which I don't even know what that looks like, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever the Quaker message actually is. Um, and they would kind of send them away or they'd like kick them out or whatever. But a few people who had kind of repeatedly come back, they, they ended up executing them. 
and uh, and there were actually laws against being a Quaker that were enforced in some of these communities. Eventually, they're repealed, partially in in relation to what happens in England towards the end of the 1600s, where you have the Act of Toleration. Mm-hmm. So that extends to the British colonies. So even though these 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 Puritan and Pilgrim communities are see themselves as quite independent, the the British Crown says you got to stop killing Quakers and Baptists because there were some Baptists who were executed yeah. too. Like you got to stop killing people who don't agree with you. And that's the that's the really weird relationship right. that the colonies have with England right. forever. Yeah, because because people fled the influ- like the top down influence that was going on in England, but then as that kind of played out in the colonies and they started persecuting one another, as England kind of gets to a place where there's the act of toleration, then they come back and say, "Hey, hey, hey you guys can't be doing that mm-hmm. anymore," which is just interesting because it was the English crown that would have persecuted both those groups. <laughs> Yeah, fifty years before, whatever. Yeah, it's complicated, and and I think also it's worth noting for the secularist out there mm. who might come. Neither one of our listeners are secularists. Yeah, but if they pass it along to their brother or something, right? Uh, if they happen to hit share on this, <laughs> um, it's worth noting that I, I I said earlier that the Puritans become a bit of legalists. Mm. I I think the better identification would become moralists. And, yeah. and and they become legalists around that moralism uh, in, in its dirtier forms as it produces later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of even persecution against the secular world. Right. And you you get these things eventually mm-hmm. where the church is doing Salem witch trials. Right, yeah. Uh, writings like the Scarlet Letter. Mm-hmm. Right, these things aren't birthed from nothing. Right, this is uh, Christian morality become Christian legalism without without a check, without checks and balances, mm. in in a dangerous way. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's 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 tricky, right? Because it's it's these people who are very serious about their faith. Who are establishing new communities and trying to trying to base the the rules of this little society on things that are good and things that are true, mm-hmm. right? So to that, there's there's a, there's a very real sense in which it's it's commendable. Yeah, but here's here's the difference. the The difference comes in in the way that we look at the covenant. I would mm-hmm. say, right? Mm-hmm. And if if we were the kind of covenantalists that were Presbyterian, say, for example, where we believe that you are born into the covenant and the children of believers become believers and are baptized for mm-hmm. it, then I think you can pursue that kind of theocratic rule. Right. But because that's not how it actually works, <laughs> because it requires the confession and the repentance of the individual, mm. you can't base a rule on that, right? Right. Paul tells the church in Corinth very clearly, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to have anything to do with the sexually immoral mm. who would call themselves brothers. Right. Not speaking at all, this is not me moving on, this is still the passage, not speaking at all about the sexually immoral of this world, because then you would have to leave the world. 
right? That's Paul telling them, these rules are the convictions of the converted heart Mm. and should be lived out by those who confess Christ. Mm -hmm. This is not general rule. And to base law and to say, this is my conviction as I have been, had my eyes opened by the truth of God's word and convicted by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I know this to be right. And so I'm going to place that on you Mm. as a rule. Right. Is the definition of moralistic legalism. Right. Yeah. No. And I, I get, I get that that's, that's where it got to. In those communities, but like even if we look at our common legal system, like what we affirm to be good and bad are still based on biblical principles, even in our secular modern world, right? Laws about stealing and murder Mm -hmm. and those types of things, right? Like, so there is a sense in which even in a secular society or our modern secular society that we've taken biblical principles and made rules out of them for all of society. I'm going to split a hair. Okay. And say, I believe they're principles of general revelation and not special revelation. But okay. that the same author wrote them both. There is a, a commingling, a similarity between the notions. Mm. But general revelation, I believe, is enough to tell people murder is wrong. Right, right. Because it exists as a law in places where the Bible has not been known. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's weedy. It's weedy, but I'll stand by it. Okay, and that's fine. And I'm not. I'm not here to. And I'm not here to trash the opinion. And I'm not here to go 100% full theonomy on you. Mm-hmm. I just like. I think that societies in which societies where legal systems were founded more heavily upon mm-hmm. biblical principles tend to be better places to live. Okay. And I don't think Your that's post mill is showing. Well. <laughs> A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Just because, like, I think, I think that's not like it's not like a, it's not a coincidence that it's 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 good to live where sure. in this part of the world we do, yeah, right? as I, opposed I, to a place that's founded on Islamic principles or communist principles or, or whatever, or strictly secular principles, right? Sure, but but that's just to say, even in those places, mm. because of general revelation, yeah. many of those rules that you talked about still stand. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And and when it when it comes to things that are more about the conviction of the Holy Spirit on the personal heart, mm. that's where we as Christians have to be careful, right? We're going to yeah. preach this. I, I preach this from the pulpit regularly, right? Mm. So I I've thought about it and wouldn't shy away from saying our goal is not to be moralists, mm-hmm. right? Christian morality is the fruit of mm-hmm. the converted heart and the Holy Spirit within us. Right. And so our goal is not to have people act like Christians. Our goal is to have people confess their sins and be reborn, right? Right. Which is why it bothers me so much when people are like, can you believe what the, can you believe sinners are sinning? (laughs) I'm like, yes. Yes. They're heathens. So yeah. And what they need to do is not stop sinning Mm. in, in the notion of their individual sins. Mm -hmm. Right. What mm-hmm. they need to do is come to Christ. Right. Yeah. And and at that point, mm-hmm. we talk to them about the individual sure. notions of sin. Yeah, because they do still need to feel the weight of God's law in mm-hmm. order to pursue the rescue from the 
the right consequences of their breaking of his law. But it's it's I, I know I'm not I'm not I'm not advocating for the Salem witch trials here. I'm just just so everyone knows. Uh, I'm just saying it's 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 messy. I don't because I think what happens when it comes to these types of societies, these Puritan and Pilgrim societies that were founded in the in you know early America is people can kind of really drift to one extreme or the other mm-hmm. either glorify them to say this is what all Christians should be doing all the time throughout all history right. this is what we need to do or to say how dare they try to enforce biblical principles on their society mm-hmm. it's like well no like you can't like it, there there's there's areas of gray here like they're 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 genuine i i believe they were genuinely trying to do a good thing it just gets out of hand because you have overzealousness you have the inevitable human sin rising to the surface mm-hmm. and it kind of overflowing into abuses and and also you know misapplications of right. god's law right and i would say i would say it gets out of hand because it's wrongly applied yeah these the way that god has given the people of god to govern mm. is for governance within the church Right, yeah. It's not, not the go- it's not, not the for ch- governance of a nation. Right, the church doesn't bear the sword. Right, the yeah the and and, yeah. and that's where I think it's important for us as Christians mm. to come to a place where we say, listen, no, mm. these things came from it. They were misguided, and the outcomes were wrong. Right, yeah, and and it wasn't just religion on religion, which has been. What we've talked about as far as persecution goes for a good long period of time. In Europe, through many of the eras we've talked about, there's been persecution against secularism as well. Mm. You'd be put to death for being an anti-Trinitarian, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it does happen with these groups as well, Mm -hmm. right? That there's persecution amongst those who don't believe. And just, just so everyone knows, like just to get a little bit broader here, like there it was it was more than just puritans and the pilgrims who who came to to the new world early on you had groups even from outside of britain uh, from other parts of europe that were traveling there again to kind of escape whatever it was that was going on wherever they were right so in pennsylvania you have the Mennonites, the Amish. I mean, to this day, the Anabaptists, right? To this mm-hmm. day, yeah, Anabaptist communities. I mean, we have many here where we are, even in Ontario as well. Um, and I don't know the whole story of how they ended up exactly here from Pennsylvania, but that'd be an interesting thing to explore, and perhaps we will down the road in this podcast. Even uh, Maryland, if you can guess, Maryland. Who went to Maryland? Catholics. Uh, Catholics fleeing persecution in England in particular, um, also from some other places. Uh, New York, which was initially uh, New Amsterdam, which was a a Dutch colony. Uh, You had strong Dutch Reformed influence there. As I mentioned before, Rhode Island uh, actually became a bit of a a refuge for for early Baptists. And so you had, you know, you had kind of all of these different groups— some sometimes you know radically different in their theology, mm-hmm. uh, living either alongside one another or in relatively close proximity to one another, and growing over time up you know generation after generation alongside different people of differing convictions, in relative peace, especially once certain you know toleration religious toleration rules were 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 passed. Um, you also had what's interesting. What I read as well is you had 
amongst these groups, you had far less forcible conversions of the native population compared to the Catholic, French, and Spanish, which was, you know, which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you don't have, you know, a Presbyterian or Baptist pastor in front of an army walking into a native village and saying, right. you're all getting baptized today. Thanks be to God, right? Like, whereas it, with the Spanish and the French, that's they're just forcibly converting entire nations. So it's not, again, it's not that um, the Protestant pilgrims were these beacons of absolute um, moral purity or anything like that, but you don't have that same kind of behavior happening um, in in those early colonies um, in, in the United States. Yeah. The motivation's not there. The means aren't there. Yeah. Um, in the same way. So it's just an, an entirely different thing. When, when you are a confessionalist, Mm -hmm. then, you know, just taking an entire group of people and forcing them into confession Mm -hmm. is very much against what you believe to be a, a true confession. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there, there so, were early missionary movements from within the, the Puritans and pilgrims, yeah. like translating the Bible into the Algonquin language was something that was done very early, like the 1630s, I think that was as early as they, they translated the new Testament into the Algonquin language, which is pretty, pretty surprising. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. Um, so, so there, there are these mission efforts, but they're, they're better <laughs> at least than, uh, than what is happening, you know, in, Central and South America, which is mm-hmm. atrocious. Um, and what ends up happening, though, what ends up kind of just kind of naturally occurring because of all these different kinds of people coming to the new world and growing up alongside each other and figuring out, you know, how to coexist with people with these differences is you get the, the beginnings of denominational thinking, denominational yeah. theory. Right. It's not it's not state church. Right. Right. Now there there are some I think Virginia was like explicitly Anglican for a while, but in most of the colonies you don't have especially once they're they kind of expand into what we know as the thirteen colonies over that time, like they're not explicitly whatever. Right, they're not explicitly Presbyterian or explicitly Baptist or explicitly whatever. You have multiple groups coexisting, and and so there's this this growing understanding that like, okay, these other people, I'm not with them, right? I'm mm-hmm. not going to their church on Sunday, right? They're not coming to mine. We have our differences, and they might be significant, but they're they're still Christian. They're not my enemy, necessarily, right? They're not they're not my enemy. They're just they're Christians of a different type. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how you view them and how you judge them and whatever, probably very, I mean, very person to person, situation to situation. But you get the beginning of something that we now today take, just take for granted. Right. Right. Yep. It's like, oh, there's different kinds of Christians down the street. And we think they're right about certain things. We think they're wrong about certain things. And we still love them. And we might partner with them on certain things and not on other things. And that's just a natural thing that, we, that exists in our world. And the beginnings of that really happen in, you know, pre-revolutionary America. Yeah, and I, I think the very birth of it is is the Reformation itself, mm. where you have people that are like, well, I follow Luther, I follow Zwingli, 
I follow Grable. I'm an Anabaptist. I'm right. Yeah. These these kinds people are just getting less angry about it. Yeah, they're not fighting wars over it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll shoot you a dirty look, and that'll be the end of it, right? right? right I'm right. not going to shoot you a bullet. <laughs> uh, and so, and so that they're that they're learning to be less angry about it, mm. that they're learning to coexist, mm-hmm. uh, allows these things to solidify in a way that didn't happen before. Right. Right. Whereas. In Calvin's time, cities would have to make a claim, right? Yeah. Geneva, Geneva's reformed. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that way everyone who wasn't reformed knew to stay out of Geneva because it was not going to go well for you, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's true, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's not happening any for, anymore. You don't have no. cities or governors making these kinds of claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's... As the Reformation has continued to reform mm. and congregationalism has become a thing mm-hmm. for these people who are transplanted from England into the Americas, mm-hmm. you have more and more. So from the very beginning, Luther's thing was the individual believer has the right to interpret Scripture for himself. Right? That has always been the thing. That's right. why from the beginning of the Reformation it has been about... Get the scripture into the hands of the people. That's right. why Zwingli said the greatest need for the church is preaching. Teach the people, right? That's always been what it's about. And it, at this point, uh, leadership is now becoming something that is in the hands of the people mm. and not a top-down thing, which means you're going to have splinters. You're going to have divisions and different interpretations. Uh, it's It's... I, I don't even want to say a necessary evil um, mm. in in that kind of a, a worldview of how we handle the scripture, but it's an inevitable outcome. It, there's an inevitable degree of maybe chaos isn't the right word, but yeah. but diversion, yeah. right? There's there there's there's an inevitable degree of when you give people the opportunities to interpret scripture and scripture you know, we would say is abundantly clear on particular issues and less so on others. Mm -hmm. And people are going to come to differing convictions, particularly on those secondary issues. Um, And so you're going to get these different movements, right? We've already seen that in regards to the subject of baptism. We've seen that in regards to the subject of predestination, Mm -hmm. soteriology, right? So you're going to get these splinters and fissures and, and it's just a thing that is, yeah, naturally going to happen as people are not being told what their interpretation of Scripture ought to be, but being allowed to come to those interpretations independently. Right. And then, and then, particularly in the context of of early U.S. or early American life, is they've got options, mm-hmm. right? You live in Boston in the late 1600s, you might have five or six different quote-unquote denominations of churches to choose from right and that's a new thing and this is where this is a lot of people like to complain about denominationalism Mm. as like oh it just shows the fracture of the church and they can't get along not every church split is about the color of the carpet right right um yeah those things happen most denominational splits are around a theological conviction. Right. I believe this to be true of God, right? 
And and when when we take those things that are secondary, tertiary, and we say, I believe these things to be true of God, and it can't be both ways. Mm. Right? Yeah. We can't both baptize infants and not. Right. We have to make a decision. Right. For those people to be able to say, I don't believe you're not a brother in Christ, but we're going, we're not going to be able to do, we can't do both right here. And we're going to serve God better and worship in a greater peace in separate places than we would together. Mm-hmm. That is the health of denominationalism. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. That is where denominationalism becomes a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. of people being able to say to each other, not every split has to be a fight. Sometimes it's just to say, hey, you know what? We're going to do better. Each of us are going to be healthier and doing better if we're working separately than if we're working together. Mm -hmm. It's it's the same thing that happens when your kids grow up. Right. Right? At some point you say, hey, you know what? We're going to need to go on our on our own separate ways here, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the healthier option. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think denominationalism has a bad rap. Mm-hmm. In a few instances, it's well deserved. Mm-hmm. By and large, I don't think it is. It makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the reality is, is that we can still pursue unity in Christ and look forward and anticipate that fulfilled unity of the church of Jesus Christ that is the end result, right? That is going to come, and we're going to enjoy, you know, this this perfect relationship with people who, at least on this side of Christ's second coming, you know, we have our differences with, and that's okay, mm-hmm. right? And and will I, I don't I don't know how and you know when or if even some of these theological questions are going to get worked out, but you know I think in, in that day, um, it'll be under, uh, amazing and wonderful. But we don't have to try to engineer that in a fake way. Yeah. Now and say, oh well, for the purpose of unity, we're just going to forget about our differences. That's what the United Church of Canada did, and look at them now. Yeah, you know what? Part of p- denominationalism is in part the result of looking at Christ through a mirror dimly lit. Right. Yeah. And and we're just going to have our struggles yep. in understanding, um, and that's where we're at. Yeah. We were going to talk about the Great Awakening today. We'll do it next time. Next time, which is cool because it is a movement that is a cross-denominational movement. So it's a movement that impacts people of various stripes, which is kind of a cool thing. Nice. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. Take care.